We're in the midst of yet another wave of conference realignment. So is Notre Dame's independence in jeopardy? And could Sam Hartman win the Heisman in his lone year with the Irish? We'll get to all of that, plus a whole lot more, in today's mailbag edition of Locked on Irish. You are Locked on Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to Locked On Irish. Today is Friday, August 4th, so happy Friday and thank you for making this your first listen of the day. Before you get your weekend started, as always, you can watch a full episode on YouTube or listen wherever you get your podcast. but no matter how you choose to tune in to today's episode, I am grateful you're here and this is your reminder to please subscribe if you have not already. I'm Tyler Wojak and I am the host. I graduated from Notre Dame in 2018 and I've been covering college football as a producer ever since. First for ESPN and now at Fox Sports, which is where I've worked since the fall of 2021. I've also been podcasting about the Irish since 2020, and that is what led me here. Since it's Friday during the summer, it's time for another mailbag episode. Thank you to everyone who sent in your questions this week. You always make my life a little bit easier and always deliver by asking solid questions. we got some good ones this week as well. If you have some questions and you want to be included in future mailbags, send them on in. You can drop them in the comments below if you're watching on YouTube, or you can send them on Twitter to at Irish or slide in the Instagram DMs at LockedOnIrishPod. All right, let's get to our first question, and this one is pretty timely. This one comes from at GKMQ. How will this current wave of conference realignment impact Notre Dame's independence? So if you haven't been paying attention, conference realignment is all the talk in college football right now, as much as I hate it, personally. Like, I know that Notre Dame's not in a conference, and I have long said that conferences, for the most part, are a sham. It's always been money-driven, even before all this expansion stuff started. It was always a money-driven business. There was never really conference loyalty, although I will admit, as a college football fan, I really enjoy and enjoyed the regional aspect of the sport. I thought it was, or, and I think it's cool, that like the style of play in the Big Ten in the Midwest is different than the style of play on the West Coast in the Pac-12 conference. Like Big Ten is grounded pound, defense, all that. And then the on the Pac-12, it was like great quarterback play, a lot of offense stuff. It was different. Um, it added a cool regional tie to the sport that I think makes it unique. Like there's not that in any of the pro sports or anything like that. So that was one of the many things that I loved about the sport. And sadly, that is now kind of going away in this era of conference expansion, conference realignment, where borders are being knocked down, basically. And you got a team in our uh, two teams in California, USC and UCLA, who are now going to join the Big Ten, which stylistically doesn't make any sense, but financially it does, and finances are going to win out the vast majority of the time in this deal, pretty much every other deal. We're going to talk more about that later, but that is what we're in right now. Right now, uh, literally as I'm recording this, Arizona just got approved to join the Big 12, and look, I'm going to go over what's all going on, and then I'm going to tie it back to Notre Dame at the end, because honestly, this conference stuff has been taking over my life at Fox, so I'm going to kind of lay it all out. If you don't know entirely what's going on, I'll kind of lay it all out for you, but then I promise there is a Notre Dame tie into it at the end. So I'll just, you know, bear with me here for a little bit. So like I said, Arizona, they're going to move to the Big 12. They're leaving the Pac-12. And Arizona State and Utah are also considering leaving the Pac-12 for the Big 12. And maybe by the time you're listening to this, those moves might be official. That's that's very possible. These things are moving rather quickly. And all of this comes on the heels of Colorado's move from the Pac-12 to the Big 12, which they were actually one of the original members of the Big 12. So at least them going back makes sense. So now... We are literally watching the Pac-12 get gutted right in front of our eyes. And while all of this is happening, the two biggest teams left in the Pac-12, Oregon and Washington, they've got a decision to make. Um, And everyone thinks that they're going to head to the Big Ten. The Big Ten, 
They've kind of already done their research on this. They did that all last year. So they're pretty much ready to go uh, if Oregon and Washington decide they want in. But I think what's getting kind of lost in all this is that the teams in the Pac-12, other than you know Colorado and Arizona, who are already out the door, they didn't necessarily want to leave. They liked having a Pacific Conference, so they weren't jumping to go. Because, like, honestly, Oregon and Washington could have gone last year if they really wanted to get out of the Pac-12. But that's not what they wanted. But they might not have a choice here pretty soon. And really, this all started over a decade decade ago. Because I know everyone points to USC and UCLA's move last summer as the reason for the Pac-12's demise. And while that's obviously a part of it, uh, it really dates back to the Larry Scott tenure when he was the commissioner of the Pac-12 because he was so unbelievably bad at his job that he, the domino effect from all the poor decisions that he made, it continues today. Like, you could make a real case that Larry Scott is maybe one of the worst people at any one job ever, okay? Now, you probably know a buddy or you know some guy who's basically been quiet quitting at their finance job for the past three years. They show up late or they work from home. And when I say work from home, they're not really working from home. They just have their laptop open and they're opening tabs so that little green bubble on Slack stays open all day. They might send an email here or there, but they're not actually working. They're terrible at their job. But the thing is, even though they're terrible, it doesn't really impact the company at large. It's probably why they haven't been fired yet. And that's why, even though they're not good at their job, it doesn't really have the impact that, say, a Larry Scott has, okay? So Larry Scott was so bad at his job that all of his decisions continue to affect the sport today. And really, uh, the first really big mistake that he made is when he decided that USC and UCLA were no longer going to get a bigger share of the Pac-12 revenue. Because they actually... They used to get a different share. USC and UCLA, they were the main drivers of revenue for the conference, so they got a little bit more money. Larry Scott decided to change that. Once he did that, those relationships started to to strain. And then the debacle that was the Pac-12 network comes around. And that is really, it was a complete disaster at the time. And that is sort of what has led to all of this because he just completely botched that. They didn't partner with an existing network, which is their biggest mistake. He wanted to own all of it, which was great in theory. But by owning all of it, Owning 100% of that that new network, when it tanked, they were 100% responsible, and that is sort of why we're here today. Like, look at the Big Ten Network, okay? When the Big Ten Network was created, they partnered with Fox. The SEC Network and the ACC Network, they partnered with ESPN, two major networks who could help them out. They had an established audience. They could sort of partner with them and then use that leverage of the bigger company to help drive traffic to their new network. So, they did it on, on their own, and they didn't get nearly the amount of distribution that they expected, and they put themselves in a really bad position. So, yeah, they did get 100% of every dollar they made. That's great, okay? But would you rather have 100% of every $1 that you make, or would you be happy with getting 50% of $20? Because, obviously, the latter is the better option, and that's what's happening with the Big Ten Network and all the other conference networks, whereas the Pac-12, it just didn't work out, okay? And now they're in the middle of a do-or-die media rights negotiation, and right now they're dying because they have no leverage with anyone that they're they're negotiating with. Their two biggest properties are out out the door, and now they've got teams in their conference who are jumping ship to join the Pac-12. And I got to say, Brett Yormark, the the new commissioner of the Big 12, who was once the CEO of Rock Nation, he's basically saved that conference. There was a point in time where we all thought the Big 12 was going to die out, and then Brett Yormark comes in, and he has done a phenomenal job since he took over. He actually did an interview with Joel Klatt while I was at Big 12 Media Days, and I was in the room for that. And hearing Yormark's plan for the future of the conference was really eye-opening because it was clear that he gets it. 
Like, he knows that the Big 12 is not going to compete with the Big 10 or the SEC in terms of, of revenue. So he doesn't really try to. He, he understands that they can have a lane that's profitable and that's beneficial for all the people in their conference. So he was able to secure a great TV deal last year. And now that's the reason why all these Pac-12 teams want to go over to the Big 12 because it's secure. They know it's going to be profitable and it makes sense from a regional standpoint. So as all of that is going on, the Big 10 doesn't really need Oregon and Washington. They're they're pretty set, the Big 10 is. And they're, their members are certainly happy with the cut because you add two more teams to that conference, two, two more teams to take a piece of that pie. And what does that do to everyone else's cut? It gets smaller. Like they've already negotiated their media rights deal. They're, they're pretty set. And most of these schools, they don't really want it because it takes away from their money. So sure, they will offer Oregon and Washington a life raft, but they won't be getting the same amount of money that everyone else gets in the Big Ten for several years. I mean, that's what happened with Rutgers and, and Maryland and Nebraska and all that. They had to basically earn their right to, to eventually get the full share that everyone else is getting. So as all of this is going on, you got Florida State, in the ACC, and they're openly like, hey, we want out. All right, we don't like the ACC. And the ACC is like, all right, cool. Uh, you're under contract until 2036, and the only way out for Florida State is if they get 50% or more of the other teams in the ACC to leave too. And I'm sure schools like Clemson and Miami, I think what what do they call them? Like the uh, – Brett McMurphy did it for, I think, he, the Marquee 7 – I don't know. It was a terrible name, okay? So, yeah, there's some schools who are unhappy in the ACC because they're looking around and they're seeing all the other money that other teams are making um, with different conferences. But now those schools who don't have quite the juice that, say, like a Florida State or a Clemson have, they're like, wait a second. They're looking at the Pac-12 like maybe we shouldn't leave because it's not an automatic that they're going to find a home. And a large reason for that is because the Big Ten and the SEC, they don't need them right now. They're not really in a hurry, the Big Ten and the SEC, to add anyone else right now. So if Florida State tries to go rogue and they try to go to the SEC on their own, they'll face serious litigation, not to mention the people, the real people who would have to sign off on that move, they work in Bristol, Connecticut. Or maybe they don't work in Bristol, Connecticut. Maybe they move to the New York ESPN offices. But it's the people who run ESPN. They have the final say on this stuff. Let's be honest. I know that there's conference commissioners, but in deals like this, it's the people who own the media rights who are, by and large, they're in charge there. So ESPN is looking at this like, hey, we own the SEC and the ACC network. And what good does it do for ESPN to let Florida State move to the SEC? The SEC doesn't really need them, but the ACC sure as hell does. So ESPN would essentially be hurting their own product to let Florida State make this move that doesn't really benefit the, them that much. So I don't think Florida State is moving, okay? I think the ACC is going to be okay. Some of their members might be unhappy, but they're still going to be a part of it because their grant of rights deal is so strict that they've kind of got them locked in for a, a long time. Now, eventually, maybe they all band together and find a different outlet, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. And that brings me to Notre Dame because, as we know, Notre Dame needs three things to remain independent. They need a realistic path to the national championship of football. That is always the number one thing. Right now, with an expanded playoff and the demise of the Pac-12, that actually that could actually lead to one more at-large bid because the conference champion for the Pac-12 wouldn't be automatically qualified. You can't have an automatic qualifier for a conference that doesn't exist. So it actually might be easier for Notre Dame to get in the playoff if there's an extra at-large bid. The second thing. Notre Dame needs a broadcast partner for home football games that is able to pay Notre Dame something in the range of what the schools in other Power 5 or potentially Power 4 conferences make from their media rights deals. As I'm speaking to you right now, Notre Dame is in the middle of negotiations, or maybe even not in the middle, maybe they're close to the end at this point because this has been going on for a long time. But Notre Dame and NBC, that's a deal that's a matter of when, not if at this point. And I think that Notre Dame is going to get 
money that is significant is a significant increase compared to what they're making now in their current deal. And it's going to be close to, it's not going to be the same, but it's going to be close to some of the deals that the Big Ten and the SEC have with the uh, Fox and ESPN, respectively. And the third thing, which is very important now, uh, as we're talking about the ACC, is that Notre Dame needs a conference for all of their Olympic sports. If the ACC were to go under, that would cause a problem. No, Notre Dame would have to look elsewhere, and that's where maybe a Big Ten or SEC could leverage Notre Dame into saying, hey, we'll take your Olympic sports, but you got to join full-time in football. But I just explained to you that the ACC is probably going to come out of this unscathed for all the reasons I just mentioned. So I don't think that Notre Dame Olympic sports are in any sort of jeopardy either. So Notre Dame has all the three things that they need to remain independent. So when Pete Thamble from ESPN tweets out, quote, sources, any potential changes in the Big Ten are not expected to impact Notre Dame's view on independence, end quote. I was like, yeah. Makes perfect sense. None of this impacts Notre Dame in the short term, really. So right now, I think Notre Dame's independence is secure. There's a lot going on. Yes, I understand. But none of it directly impacts the things that matter most when it comes to Notre Dame's independence. But as I've said before, independence is not a permanent state of affairs. Who knows what could happen next year, the year after that, five years from now? I have no idea. You have no idea. Nobody has any idea. This stuff is so crazy and it changes so rapidly. But we're talking about this stuff, we can really only focus on what's in front of us. And what's in front of us right now is these moves from the Pac-12 to the Big 12. And despite all of these changes going on in college athletics, Notre Dame is still in a very good position to remain independent. And I expect that to remain the case uh, for the foreseeable future, as long as that may be. All right, coming up next, let's talk about something more fun, a lot more fun. Like, should more people be talking about Sam Hartman as a legitimate Heisman contender? That's next. This episode of Lockdown Irish is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. I used LinkedIn Jobs a couple years ago in between working at ESPN and Fox. I found a job opening on LinkedIn, and they made it easy to contact the hiring manager, learn more about their role, and eventually I got the job. LinkedIn also makes it incredibly easy to create a free job post on LinkedIn Jobs. All you have to do is add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and then hire. We all know hiring people can be time-consuming, but adding the right team member can be invaluable to your business, and LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier than ever. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks again for making Lockdown Irish your first listen of the day. Today we are doing another Friday mailbag episode, but before we get to the next question, this is another reminder to like the video below and subscribe to the channel if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening to the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe there as well. Okay, next up, this one comes from at bflan4. Why aren't more people talking about Hartman as a Heisman contender? He's put up the stats every year, and now he's on to a much better team. I think it's a good question. Um, I think Sam Hartman is Notre Dame's best chance at a Heisman winner since Manti Teo. And if you're talking about preseason Heisman hype, he's definitely the best shot we've had since Brady Quinn in 2006. And there's really three things you need to win the Heisman. You need to win a lot. You need to be on a good team. That's that's very important. Um, you need to have plenty of exposure. Um, you can't be playing a lot of games late at night on the uh, on the West Coast, even though Caleb Williams did end up winning the Heisman last year. I don't really think people understood just how good of a season he was having because they were playing a lot of games late, 
West Coast. Hell, USC doesn't even sell out their home games, so I don't even think their fan base realized just how good he was. But then as the season went on, he had that big game against Utah and then ran all over Notre Dame. I swear that USC has had three guys, essentially. No, now four guys clinched the Heisman with a performance against Notre Dame. It started with Carson Palmer, then Matt Leiner, Reggie Bush, and now Caleb Williams. That's all got to change. But the good thing is, Sam Hartman is going to have a chance to compete against Caleb Williams. They won't be on the field at the same time. But going back to my exposure point, that's going to be a massive game, along with the Ohio State game and the Clemson game this season. So you need to win. You got to have plenty of exposure. And you need to perform really well in those big moments. Stats are nice. And I'm sure that Sam Hartman is going to put up big numbers this year. But I'm not going to give you a threshold like Sam Hartman needs to throw for 4,000 yards and needs to throw for 50 TDs and less than five uh, interceptions. Like, while that would be great and would certainly lead to winning, uh, I would think way more likely than not, I don't think it's it's the most important thing anymore. If Sam Hartman is the best player on Notre Dame and Notre Dame goes 11-1 or 12-0, he's going to be right there in the thick of it in the Heisman conversation at the end of the year. Like, if Sam Hartman throws for five touchdowns against Ohio State but he only throws for two against Duke, like, who really cares what the final stats are because he came up on the big stage and he delivered in a huge game. So if you look at the odds on Fandle right now, shout out Fandle, sponsor the show, he's at... Plus 1800 So if you're unfamiliar, if you bet $100 on Sam Hartman to win the Heisman today and then he ends up winning, you will get paid out $1,800. Caleb Williams, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, he's the obvious favorite right now at plus 550 And then there's a pretty significant drop-off. The only other guys in front of Hartman right now are Jane Daniels at LSU, Jordan Travis at Florida State, Quinn Ewers at Texas, Cade Klubnick at Clemson, and Michael Penix Jr. at Washington. So Sam Hartman is tied for seventh, but he's tied for seventh with Drake May, J.J. McCarthy, Carson Beck, Kyle McCord, and Bo Nick. So he's up there. He's certainly in the mix. Uh, I could see him doing it, but it's really just going to come down to is Notre Dame able to win. Um, I, I think that he's got a really good chance at doing it. He's going to have all the opportunities to do so. And I'm not going to lie, man, the more I watch of him, even just the just practice clips where he's throwing on air, hell, he might even be throwing to another quarterback or handing the ball off. He just... Looks different than any quarterback we've had in a really long time. The quotes coming out of camp are great. They talk about his natural leadership ability. And it was just kind of a weird dynamic during spring practice because he was technically, I mean, he was competing with Tyler Buckner, but everyone was kind of like, okay, well, Sam Hartman is clearly better. He's far more accomplished in the college game. But Buckner had been around. Like, I would rather have Buckner on the team, but from a leadership standpoint and taking control of the offense and the team, it's probably a good thing that Buckner isn't really around because Sam Hartman can just be the clear vocal leader of this team. And the more I hear about him, the more excited I get. He's already accomplished so much in his career on the field. ACC career leader in touchdown passes, you already know that. So he's already shown that he can do it. Now he's going to have the stage to do it against the biggest teams and the biggest names in the sport. And if he performs well in those games, he's going to have a real shot at doing it. And that would be really, really fun. Just to remember how fun like the 33 chucking thing was for like a week <laughs> before that all went um, to hell when uh, I think Notre Dame really struggled against. Yeah, it was Wake Forest. That was my senior year. Yeah, that game sucked. But I still see those hats. Uh, let me know in the comments if you still have a 33 trucking hat. I saw one out in the wild recently, and it caught me so off guard because that lasted for about a week. But imagine the Heisman campaign for Sam Harmon. It would be a little bit different, and his name already kind of kind of makes a little bit more sense than Josh Adams. So I think he's got a realistic shot. All right, next one comes from at oofoof8. Uh, love, the, love the handle there. Who will lead the team in tackles and sacks this season? Go Irish. Very straightforward. Uh, I think it's pretty cut and dry. 
I think J.D. Bertrand is going to lead the team in tackles. Um, He has led the team in tackles the last two seasons. He had 82 last season despite all the time he missed because he was addicted to targeting penalties. And then he had 102 tackles the year before when he kind of came out of nowhere that season. So odds are he's going to lead the team again in 2023. But if I'm going who's behind him, I would say Jack Kaiser. He's probably my next guess because Kaiser's going to be in the middle a lot more this year than he was last year when he's playing a rover position and essentially splitting time with Tariq Bracey, who was playing nickel. Um, Jack Kaiser was incredibly efficient last year. He was actually second on the team in tackles, despite the fact that he played about half the snaps that uh, J.D. Bertrand and Maris Leofau did. So he's going to be in uh, on a lot more snaps this season. He's going to be all over the field, and I'm really excited what he can do, but I still think J.D. Bertrand is the heavy favorite to lead the team in tackles. As for sacks, Jordan Batallo uh, is going to be my pick here. He was second on the team in sacks last season with four and a half, despite playing significantly less than pretty much every other defensive lineman. Isaiah Vasi obviously led the team with 10 and a half. But I would say don't sleep on uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste, the Ohio State transfer, because he's playing strong side and he's not going to be at Viper, which is a little bit more conducive to getting sacks. But uh, JJB had four and a half sacks last season playing at Ohio State, and he was a reserve too. Their defensive line was just so loaded that he would really come in for pass rushing situations, and he got four and a half sacks. So I know we haven't seen a lot from him in practice, but he's way more accomplished uh, on the field on Saturdays than Batello. So even though he's not playing Viper, I think that if at the end of the year we're looking at the stat sheet and Jean-Baptiste has the most sacks, it really would not surprise me. I think he's going to be a really good player for Notre Dame this year, and he's actually just a little bit underrated because He's had some injuries and practices and and things like that, but I think he's going to deliver in a big way uh, when he's on the field this fall. All right, coming up after this, which of the four freshman wide receivers will finish with the best career at Notre Dame? Okay, we got a couple more mailbag questions before we wrap this up. This first one comes from at Adam underscore J. Two-part question, which freshman wide receiver will have the best season in 2023 and who will finish with the best career at Notre Dame? So I think Jaden Greathouse is going to have the best season of any freshman wide receiver in 2023 out of him, Rico Flores, and Braylon James, K.K. Smith, the freshman wide receiver out of Texas who was not there for the spring practice. Uh, he's dealing with the shoulder injury. He's going to be out for most of the season, so that's pretty much a guaranteed redshirt. So I think Jaden Greathouse is the best shot. I think he's going to have the most opportunities. He looked great in the spring game. I understand it's a spring game. I don't want to overrate it too much, but I think that what we saw from him in the spring game is comparable to what we would see from him this season. He's going to be really effective in short yardage situations. He's a really big dude. He looks like a tight end out there, although I did see that he lost several pounds um, before camp started. That's good because I think that's going to make him a little bit faster, a little bit quicker. But as I mentioned before, many times in this podcast, he comes from a really, really good high school program at Austin Westlake in Texas. The transition going from high school to college is not going to be nearly as difficult for him as it is for, say, Braylon James, who... As we heard uh, coming out of spring practice that Braylon James is an athletic freak. He's tall, he's long, he's extremely fast, but he's got a pretty steep learning curve, not just in terms of learning the fundamentals of being a college wide receiver. He has a long way to go with the playbook as well. He has shown some flashes in the fall. That's great, but I think it's going to be pretty similar to Tobias Merriweather uh, for Braylon. So I don't really expect him to have much of an impact this season at all. Now, I would say out of the three, he definitely has the highest ceiling, or really out of the four if you include K.K. Smith. I think Braylon James has the highest ceiling, but we're not going to see a lot from him this season. I like Rico Flores. I think he could have a bit of an impact this season. I would put the over-under. I'd catch this for him at like 10, but I think Jane Greathouse is going to be on the field a lot more, and I think he's going to be on the field earlier. Rico Flores also has um, 
a little bit to learn when it comes to the playbook, but I think Jaden Greathouse is going to have the easiest transition there. So I think he's going to have a really big year. I'm kind of workshopping this take. I think that by the second half of the season, maybe by November, I think we're talking about Jaden Greathouse as one of the three best wide receivers on this year's team. I am that high on him. I think he could be really good this season and beyond. So for the second part of this question, who's going to have the best career? I think it's going to be Jaden Greathouse. Um, I know that Braylon James has a higher ceiling, probably, but I just think it's a safe pick to take Greathouse. If he comes in, he's really good right away. He has the work ethic and everything you want uh, that would lead to him improving year after year. Wouldn't it make sense that he'd end up having the best career? Now, if if Braylon James reaches his full potential, then uh, he could do things, especially from an explosiveness standpoint, that I don't really think that we're going to see out of Greathouse. But it might not matter. If, if Jaden Greathouse is going out there and just racking up third-down catches, short yardage catches all the time, he's going to end up having a really, really good career at Notre Dame, and I, I feel very good that he will. Rico Flores certainly has an argument. I, I feel like I haven't talked about him enough. I think that he's incredibly smooth as a route runner. He certainly has the look down. He looks like the coolest wide receiver, one of the coolest players on the entire team, which it matters when it comes to wide receivers more than any other position probably. The look is usually pretty telling. So I think he'll be really good. I just think Jane Gridhouse is the safe bet. I think he's going to come in. I think he's going to have an early impact, and then I think he's going to build on that throughout his career at Notre Dame. So highest floor, maybe not the highest ceiling, but I think he actually will end up having statistically uh, the best resume during his time in college. All right. This last one comes from at Barney underscore not underscore rubble. It's an unreal handle. We got some good ones today. Do you think the apparel deal would have gone down differently if Pete Pavacqua was the athletic director instead of Jack Swarbrick? Um, no. <laughs> okay, I don't, I don't think that's the case at all because Pete Pavacqua would have been motivated by the exact same things that Swarbrick is. Pete wants to remain independent, uh, and signing with Under Armour is a good way to keep Notre Dame independent. I've been on it uh, on this podcast for several episodes now. I think that... This deal was a great way to make up some of the money that Notre Dame willingly chooses to lose out on by staying independent and having a deal with NBC where if they had gone to the Big Ten or one of the other major conferences, they'd be making tens of million dollars more per year in TV money. People think that Notre Dame has an endless supply of money. That is certainly not the case. And now that we're getting a little bit more details on the agreement with Under Armour, Tim Priester from Irish Illustrated reported today that Notre Dame could be looking at a base of 13 to $15 million per year from, from Under Armour, not to mention the revenue that they will generate from royalties. It's also supposed to be a very cash-heavy deal, more so than the last one, which was uh, it had a bunch of stock options too, so Notre Dame is going to be getting a lot more money up front. But most importantly, it was more than double what Nike was offering. Pete is a businessman. The vast majority of the time, going with a deal that pays you less than half of what another deal does is usually not good business. And I understand the players want a Nike. I understand that probably the coaches want a Nike. I understand that most of the fans want Nike. I wanted Nike. But like most deals, the money won out, and the money will probably be more impactful to the football program and to all the athletic programs, uh, more so than wearing the Nike swoosh. I think that's just a fact. Perception-wise, maybe recruits think it's cooler. The players will be a little bit happier. But would you be happier with Notre Dame having a lot more money? Maybe they build a Goog uh, or build a renovated Goog with this money. I think that is more impactful to winning, in my own opinion. I realize that Jack Swarbrick is getting crushed for this. But let me ask you, like, what if Jack said, hey, we're going to go with Nike, but now we have to join the Big Ten to keep up with the arms race in college football? What would you say? Probably wouldn't be too thrilled, right? Because we all want to remain independent. 
And I understand that it's probably not a if this happens and that happens thing, but I do think that you have to consider those two things together because Notre Dame cannot continue to accept less money year in and year out and, and think that they're going to be able to keep up with the truly elite teams in college football because you need money to fund everything you need to win, the coaches, um, the brick-and-mortar stuff, everything you need to, to have a really high-powering, not just football program, but athletic department in general. You need money to be able to do it. Notre Dame got a lot of money in this deal, more, way more than they would have gotten with any other deal. So it made sense. Um, I, I understand that you might not be happy with this, and it, it honestly doesn't really matter who's in charge, whether it's Jack Swarbrick, Pete Bavacqua. They're going to recognize that this deal is driven by finances and Under Armour offered way more money. That's the way it is, and uh, that's the way it is with most business deals. So I think Pete is going to be great at his job. I think that Jack Swarbrick is probably a great mentor for Pete, uh, so we can learn. I think they're going to do things a little bit differently. Um, I think their personalities are different, but I think at the end of the day, both those guys love Notre Dame. They're very smart. They're very savvy businessmen, and uh, Pete is going to have some big shoes to fill when he does become the official athletic director at Notre Dame, but I think he's going to be great, and uh, I'm very excited for him, and I just hope he's prepared to get ridiculed uh, when he doesn't meet the wishes of fans who likely won't ever be satisfied anyway, but I think Pete is going to do a great job at Notre Dame, and I'm excited to see what he does once he takes over. All right, that's going to do it for me today, and that is another week of Locked On Irish in the Books. Um, thanks again for making this your first listen of the day. Remember to subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you're listening to the podcast. Follow the show on social media, uh, on Twitter slash X, although I, I don't think I'm ever going to call it X. I hate I hate that. So follow me on Twitter, or follow the show on Twitter, rather, at Lockdown Irish, on Instagram, at Lockdown Irish Pod, and then you can follow my personal Twitter account as well, at Tyler, W-O-J-C-I-A-K. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. I will see you next week.